Are you ready? Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Fight Show. I'm your host, LC, and with me as always is the brag man, Chris Bragg. How you doing out there, Chris? I'm doing great, man. What a weekend we just had. And I could not wait to get on here and talk to you about it this week. Man, and it's only going to get better from here. I mean, we got Ward Kovalev this weekend. Just a fantastic time to be a fight fan. Absolutely. Absolutely. So much to talk about. It's almost like we can't fit everything into the show, but we're going to do our best to try. So without further ado, let's just get to the particulars. You're listening to the Ultimate Fight Show. If you want to call in, the number is 1657-383-1412. You can also listen to us on Blog Talk Radio and find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all your social media outlets. Bragg, you want to tell them about that? Oh, of course I will. It's the Ultimate Fight Show. Uh, you can find us by searching The Ultimate Fight Show on Twitter. It's at The Alt Fight Show. Uh, we're on, as Larry mentioned, we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. The Ultimate Fight Show is the username. And, of course, you can find us at TheUltimateSportsTalk.com. Just search under the podcast for The Ultimate Fight Show, and we'll be uh, on a current steady rotation there throughout the day. 24-7, baby, 365. All right. We got a lot to talk about, of course, this weekend, but you can't you can't talk about the the present without recapping what happened last weekend. And boy, did we have an event in Madison Square Garden, the Mecca of fights. And finally, the UFC has come to Madison Square Garden, UFC 205 brag. It was just a spectacular show start to finish. I don't know. I, I feel like everybody in the world knows what Connor did that night. But let's talk about the other fights on the card first. We'll recap those. And then, you know, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about uh, Connor and all that jazz. So let's just get into it. We got, um, we will, uh, we'll, we'll do the, let, Brad, you want to start with the, uh, with some of the preliminary fights that we, that we called? Uh, yeah, we can look at that. I believe, um, I'll have to pull up our um, predictions for that. But the show opened up with Liz Carmouche winning a split decision, a really close fight over Caitlin Chukagan. Um, It was a three-round thriller. Uh, Both both chicks came to bang. That's what they did, and it ended up being a split decision. Um, Moved on up to, which was an odd fight. Jim Miller and Tiago Alves was the next fight up, and, they ended up fighting at a catchway to 162.6. I, I wasn't really sure what would happen there. I believe it was originally scheduled for um, lightweight, but 
Did Diego Alves, did he uh, miss weight by that much? Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, he missed weight. And, uh, I mean, it really doesn't matter. Jim Miller ended up uh, winning the fight. We both picked Miller to win that fight. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot. It was strange. And, again, with some of the fights being canceled, let's talk about uh, Tim Bosch and uh, Rafael Natal because uh, this was a fight both you and I thought Bosch would win. How, How did you see that one? Yeah, I, I actually um, did not. I thought uh, Natal was going to uh, win that fight, uh, to be quite honest. I'll take the win if you're going to give it to me. But uh, you had Boch, I had Natal. That was our first uh, yeah, that's right. of the night. That's right. And, I mean, hey, you know, Boch caught him uh, late in the first round and was able to take care of business. I mean, it was a good job by him. A great, a, a good comeback win for him. A good back, comeback fight, rather, for him. He'd been down a little bit and uh, – you know, he he showed up with a purpose and uh, took care of business. Absolutely. All right, let's start with the with the uh, uh, with uh, the the big fight from the preliminaries that everybody wanted to see, and that was Michael Johnson and Khabib Nurmagomedov. Now, just a great fight. It ended in the third. Um, I believe both. I, I had uh, Khabib. I believe you also did as well. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. And, uh, Bray, I mean, what did, what did you think? Because Michael Johnson rocked Khabib early with that, with that left-hand shot, but then from that point on, Khabib just showed, you know, that he's a world-class, he's a world-class submission fighter, great top game, I mean, uh, wrestling, grappling game. And then on top of that, he's undefeated and he's never lost in the UFC. Did this win propel him to a title shot? Or do you think that the UFC is going to maybe want him to fight Ferguson, establish a true number one contender? Well, if you'll remember, uh, before Khabib got injured a couple of years ago, he was in line for a title shot. He was the next in line, ended up, I believe, hurting his knee and was out for about a year. And he just has it, you know, with the lightweight division where, where it's been, it just, he just hasn't gotten that opportunity yet. I think he deserves a title shot. I think he has previously earned it. I mean, 24-0 and 0 is pretty damn good. Uh, and an impressive win over Michael Johnson, who uh, was more than game for this fight. Uh, yeah, he, Khabib got rocked early, but, I mean, never really affected him moving forward in the fight. He was able to uh, get that submission win with the Kimura late in the fight and immediately got up and... <laughs> Basically called out Conor McGregor, called out the winner of that the main event, and I mean, give the man a title shot already. I think he has deserved it. Tony Ferguson <laughs> is on a roll. Uh, you know he's he's uh, he's in line behind Khabib to me. Absolutely, um, Jeremy Stevens, Frankie Edgar. I thought Jeremy Stevens was going to get the job done with all his big talk in the press conference, and uh, Frankie. Who the fuck is that guy? He, yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, Frankie Edgar showed him who he was, let alone Connor, and was able to win pretty even in the strikes, 45 to 41, each with a submission attempt. Stevens had that early knockdown, but Frankie, you know, the dude just doesn't, he doesn't quit. He weathers the storm and established himself and was able to get in there and get that W. Bragg, the next fight on the card that started off the 205 pay-per-view 
near and dear to our heart. Misha Tate, friend of the show, one of the first people that we ever had on her and her boyfriend or fiance, Brian Carowitz. And uh, we've had them on probably a half dozen times. She was going in there against Raquel Pennington. You and I both thought Tate would win, but we knew it could be a dangerous fight. And uh, what did you see in this fight? And do you agree with the decision that our friend made after the fight? You know, it, it, it was. It, it was a little tough to watch. Uh, it, it wasn't that Misha was really beat up or outclassed in the fight. She just didn't seem to be able to get off the launching pad. She just couldn't seem to get into gear, and she just seemed to step behind uh, Raquel Pennington the whole um, whole fight, taking nothing away from Pennington. I mean, she showed up. She did what she had to do, and she is such a talented young fighter. Now, of course, after the fight, um, Misha dropped the bomb that she didn't feel like she had it anymore. She was going to retire. Uh, pretty shocking. I it, it, I think it probably was a knee jerk reaction. Um, I'd like to. I need to get in touch with her. I'd love to get her back on the show and soon, just so we can kind of see how she's feeling, see what she's thinking. But I, I don't feel like that's the last we've seen of Misha Tate. I, I feel like she does have a little left to give or a little more to give. Uh, she probably needs some time off. Uh, she's had a rough year, but um, I, I think a little bit of time off uh, will do her good. And I think we will see her in the octagon again. She's she's a great fighter. She's uh, so talented, so smart. Uh, she's she's not done with the sport yet. I, I can't I can't foresee that happening. Uh, I I kind of feel like she might be only because I've picked against her a few times in the past. I had Nunes against her. Um, looking at her three in her last six. She lost to Ronda, she beat Holly, lost to Nunes, now lost to Pennington, beat, you know, um, Jessica I. I just feel like she's one of those top, she's always going to be a top five person. I just don't think that she's any more in the top three. And I don't see her getting a title shot unless she was able to come back and maybe win two or three fights against top ten opponents in a row. So uh, if it is done, great career. She was a pioneer for the sport became a great ambassador for the UFC, and I suspect that she'll have some kind of role with the UFC company moving forward. Or if, like you Absolutely. said, this isn't the last we've seen. Yeah, and, and, and or if you, like what you said, if, if this isn't really the last of it, because we know how fighters are, they always, you know, especially coming off of a loss that you thought you were going to win, you, you start to question yourself and that mental psyche that you need in combat sports, unlike team sports. And so, you know, who knows? We could see her in a year. We could see – maybe she just needs time off. The, the, only the future will tell. Now let's move to the, uh, the last of our non-title fights. Chris Weidman, Yoel Romero, great fight. I had Weidman winning this one. Bragg, who did you have? Uh, I, picked, I picked Romero to win this fight. I, I did. Um, and that's just as much mm-hmm. as my disdain for Chris Weidman. Uh, I had Romero winning this fight by knockout in the first round. Yeah, and I had it by knockout in the second round for Weidman, and Romero knocked him out in the third. But I will say this. Prior to that third round flying knee, which at first glance, if you watched it, looked like Romero went was trying to jump over Weidman's 
<laughs> shot. Like it looked like Weidman was shooting and he was leapfrogging him and he just clipped him. And it sounded like uh, the only thing that I can equate it to is when Roy Jones Jr. hit Virgil Hill in the body and it sounded like a shotgun went off and he broke his ribs instantly and the fight was over. That's kind of what it sounded like when his knee or when Anderson Silva broke his knee on Weidman's, on Weidman's shit. It was similar to that. Like you heard a big bump. I thought it was over instantly. Romero was able to get another one or two punches in to, on the ground before the referee got in there. But the reason I'm recapping that for you is because, and correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, because maybe you saw something different. I thought Chris Weedman won both rounds. I thought that he was winning that fight, and all he had to do was survive the third, and he got knocked out. What, what, how did you see it? Uh, I saw it the same way. Uh Especially the, the first round, uh, Weidman got off pretty hot. He was beating him on the he was beating him on the stand up. Um, Romero, he was actually stuffed. He stuffed a couple of takedowns uh, from Romero, who is a world class uh, wrestler. I mean, he's a world champion wrestler, one of the best MMA wrestlers um, active today. Uh, Weidman was doing a great job. Uh, he really was. I think he. I agree. I think he was winning the fight. Uh, and then he got caught. I, he was shooting him for a double leg. And, yeah, I agree with you. It was funny because the angle that the camera was at was directly behind Weidman. So you were looking through Weidman, uh, looking at Romero. And then, yeah, the flying knee, it just came out of nowhere. It looked odd. Of course, when you see the replay from a different angle, you could see how masterful it was. I mean, cracked him open, uh, put a nice gash in his forehead. I just – it was, it was a great job by Romero to to survive uh, the first two rounds. Well, I'm sorry, I take that back. He didn't. I mean, he he was survived. Uh, he was never really in big trouble, but I mean, he withstood the punishment. He never gave up, and he was able to come through um, with the big shot to win that fight. Just a a great uh, job by Romero, and give Chris Weidman credit. Uh, great job by him up until that point. Now that sets up a showdown between Michael Bisbing for the middleweight title and Yoel Romero, which should be a really, really, really good fight, one that I'm looking forward to. And it did, I love it. Michael Bisbing didn't take long to start promoting that fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did not. I was going to say, I don't know what was better, the flying knee that ended the fight or the whole exchange between the champion Bisbing and Yoel Romero, who actually have a history because – the two of them used to spar each other and compete over in Europe. And so mm-hmm. Romero kind of called him out there like, you know who I am kind of thing. And Bisbing with his weird glass eye and giving the middle finger and stuff. Uh, it, it's definitely going to be a fight that fans are going to want to see. And, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I, even though I thought Weedman was winning, I think against Bisbing, I, I, I'd make Romero a slight favorite right now to beat the champ. Uh, I I would too, maybe because it's fresh in my head. Uh, but yeah, uh, Romero, he ha- he would have the wrestling advantage over Michael Bisping, um, and but Bisping's a pretty good wrestler the in his own right. It, and that was yeah, my next it, step. He's got more power. I, I believe Bisping's probably the more precise boxer, but mm-hmm. Romero has one punch, knock the fuck out power in his hands. So it, it's going to be a real interesting fight. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. They could bring it on any time, and I'll be I'll be ready to watch it. 
Yeah, and, and Romero is just, I mean, you know, I'm not going to use as colorful language as the brag man did there, but like Joe Rogan said, jo- Yoel Romero's a brick shithouse. This dude's the biggest, most jacked up dude cut up in the company. And I would say Tyrone Woodley is probably second if, for if you look at their mass and their size and everything like that. They're both huge dudes for their weight classes. And I just think that if Romero can land the same punches that Henderson did on Bisbing, that fight ends in the first round. However, I will say that you brought up a good point. Bisbing is going to be the more accurate puncher. And another thing that's really going to favor him, maybe more so than his boxing, is that Michael Bisbing's got a serious gas tank. That dude's going to be ready to go all five, whereas Romero kind of looked like he was gassing a little bit until he caught his second win at the end of the second round, beginning of third. I think that's big more because Weedman was getting tired from, from the fight. I think had Weedman been able to keep his pace, maybe that doesn't happen. But now look at this, though, and then we'll move on. Chris Weedman, in his last two fights, has been winning both of those fights against Rockhold and Romero and made one bad mistake. With Rockhold, it was the spinning back punch or kick, and against Romero, it was trying to shoot when he was coming with a knee. Two mistakes, or we could still be looking at Chris Weedman as the, as the middleweight champion of the world. So just a little food for thought there. Um, now let's move on to the three title fights, which I am proud to say that I went 3-0 and on. Because the draw, you know, we'll count that as a, as a, as a W in, in this sport. <laughs> so uh, let's start with the straw weight. Um, and I, and I, I practiced this brag, so I'm not going to let you butcher it. Joanna Jandrasik against Carolina Kowalski. Now these two ladies came to bang, <laughs> both from Poland, five-rounder, both undefeated. And a lot of fans didn't realize this. And if you listen to our show the week before, we talked about it briefly. But this was only the third, or this was the first time ever that two undefeated fighters in the UFC, male or female, were meeting for a title, which is kind of a, um, amazing when you think about how many fights the UFC has put on over the last 25 years. But um, just a great fight. I think early on, Carolina realized really quick that she was in there with someone special. The striking of Joanna, the the up and down, the mental gamesmanship for those first three rounds was just on another level. It was very Connor-esque, if that's a new phrase we're going to be throwing around now. Very Connor-esque. However, in that fourth round, Bragg, Carolina showed why she was in this fight and very heavy-handed and was able to time up. Joanna uh, thought that she was going to throw uh, a kick, and instead she threw a punch, and she was rocked. I mean, for a second, people thought it could have been over. But, again, in the true form that she is a champion, she was able to weather the storm. She made some smart tie-ups, went back to the cage. She showed the kind of moxie that a champion needs to show, especially when, when, uh, when going back after getting rocked with a big punch. So I was very impressed by that. Able to finish off four rounds to one is what the judges had. it. It's how I had it, Bragg. What did you think about the fight? Two questions. How dominant is Joanna, and can anyone beat her? And the second question is, would you like to see these two fight again in possibly Poland? Because they were throwing that out after the fight. 
Well, I'll answer the second question first. Yeah, I, I think a rematch, especially in Poland, uh, would be off the charts. Those two girls are really something special. Joanna, especially, uh, she, she is right now. I'd say she is the most dominant champion um, outside of Demetrius Johnson that the UFC has. Uh, she just and she's doing it with a lot under the radar. Uh, a lot, a lot of people pay attention to the women's strawweight division, but I tell you what, you're missing out on a special, special fighter. Uh, she's she's fantastic. Uh, looking up and down the, the top five and the top ten right now, the strawweight division, I don't see really anybody that's going to unseat her for a while. Um, not only I – mean, she's just such a great all-around fighter. Um, whatever you bring to the table, she's going to bring that and more. And she seems to be – still evolving as a fighter, getting better in every aspect. It's just a uh, just a fantastic uh, fighter. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing where she goes from here. I mean, you're looking at somebody who we're going to be talking about, you know, in a couple of years in the same vein as Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre and uh, guys of that nature that just had dominated for years on end. I don't see anybody beating her right now. Yeah, and I mean, I, I thought it was really candid of her when asked by Joe Rogan, you know, was this your toughest fight? And she said no, that Claudia Gedalia, her last fight was. And those two ladies have fought twice. And Gedalia is going to be fighting this weekend in one of the fight nights that we're going to be previewing. But I really think that it's Joanna and then it's, and then it's uh, Claudia is 1A, 1B, and then Carolina's right there. I would love to see Gedalia and Carolina fight if Gedalia gets past her test this weekend. Brad, what do you think about that fight? I think that's a logical matchup uh, really for her. I, I think um, both of those women, I believe they both will be back in the title picture um, sooner rather than later. Um, do they deserve a a rematch for the title that quick? I don't know. Uh, there's just not a lot of other options out there for Joanna right now. Um, I mean, are they going to maybe do an ultimate fighter with her, you know, like they're doing with Demetrius Johnson right now, where they bring in champions throughout the world, the winner gets a shot at Joanna? I, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but, I mean, she's just been so dominant right now. Then again... Same thing we said about Ronda Rousey up to a year ago. And, you know, each fight became her toughest test to date, and she finally met her match. And the one thing I will say the difference is, I believe, Joanna's approach, she's more focused on MMA than Ronda was at that point. Um, I believe, and I believe that has a lot to do with her domination as well. But, uh, yeah, I believe uh, Claudia and Carolina, I'm sure they will fight sooner rather than later, and I'm sure one of them will be getting another shot at the title uh, before too long. All right, moving on to the co-main event, Tyrone Woodley, the welterweight champion of the world, making his first defense against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who was the heavy favorite despite not being the champion. Bragg, this was a great fight. This was a fight where you, you liked Wonderboy, I liked Woodley, and I think in the end, the real winners were the fans. I thought that the first round was dominated by Woodley. 
10-9. I thought the second round was too close to call. Third round I gave to Wonderboy. Fourth round was 10-8, and it should have ended there. I know you were scared, probably on the edge of your seat, I, I, you know, in South Carolina. just I can't believe Wonderboy just got destroyed. And somehow this dude showed Homer Simpson strength and just went into zombie mode and somehow was able to get through the round and then managed to start striking again and win the fifth round. I scored the fight 48-46 for Woodley because I thought Woodley won the first two rounds and then the 10-8 round, and I thought Thompson won rounds three and five. However, I'm a hunt. I, I said it as the fight was going on. I was sending out tweets. I was totally fine with the draw because I could see Thompson winning that second round. The thing I would not have been fine with is had the referees not implemented the 10-8 round in round four for Woodley. Then we'd be sitting here talking about a completely different thing. I agree that Bruce Buffer read the scorecards wrong and that Tyrone thought he won a majority decision, but it was in reality it was a majority draw, and I thought they handled that really well, even though Woodley still seemed disappointed by it. But he still gets to keep his belt. They're definitely going to fight again. And, uh, Greg, what did, what did you learn about Tyrone Woodley? And then also, what did you learn about Wonder Boy in a sense of, you know, did, did, did Woodley expose him or is Woodley just that special of an athlete that that's what it's going to take and he still didn't even get the win? He got a draw. What, what, what are your thoughts? I think what we learned from, we we knew both fighters were tough going in. We we both know you know, we, we know the resume of both fighters. Tyrone Woodley has been a champion before. He's worked his way up and earned his title shot and dominantly um you know, won that fight. Um, you know, he, he won the title. Um and you got a guy like Wonder Boy Thompson who who's come up through the ranks, who's done nothing but gotten better and better, you know, two guys just gave it all. And just, just a great, great fight. Uh, you know, it's one of those fights that after it's over, you stand up and applause from your living room. Uh, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I hate, as a judge, mixed martial arts judge, I hate giving 10-8 rounds. It's really got to be a dominant round uh, to give a 10-8. But I, I'm okay with 10-8 there um, in the fourth round. The only caveat I'd say is that Stephen Thompson, he ended that round on top or, you know, move, pushing forward. So could could you really give him back that point after being dominated the whole round and it not being stopped? Could you give him back that point for – you know, finishing the round strong and almost looking like he was winning that round. I mean, given another minute or two of the round, would we be, I mean, do you think Stephen Thompson would have won that round? It's hard to tell. Um, at the fifth round, of course, Thompson, I believe, won handily. Um, if there's ever a fight, you know, there are a few fights I like to see called a draw, but that's a good one. That, that was a good fight to be called a draw. I have no problem with uh, 47-47 at all. Um, it's probably what I would have uh, had for the fight also if I was had my scoring uh, glasses on. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the rematch. I think both guys are 
you, you, you've seen – I don't think either of these guys were really at the um, top of a lot of people's list as far as pound-for-pound fighters or uh, fighters that you think about. It's like, oh, God, I can't wait to see those guys fight. They're in that mindset now. After watching that show Saturday night and after watching those two guys go to war, how can you not be fans of those two guys? And I'll tell you one other thing I loved about that fight. It's one thing I love about mixed martial arts in general. Yes, you've got fighters who really don't like each other. You've got guys like Conor McGregor, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, talk a lot of crap and talk a lot of trash, and they build up the fights that way. After four rounds, after 20 minutes of war, at the beginning of the fifth round, those two guys went to the middle of the octagon and they hugged each other. Mm-hmm. And and it was just it was just such it's just such great sportsmanship and it really just it's the spirit of mixed martial arts and what it's really all about. That wasn't the end of the fight. They still had five minutes to go. And I thought that was such a wonderful moment that didn't get touched on and didn't get talked about. Um I haven't heard anybody talk about it at least, but I thought that was just a great moment and it was just kind of encapsulated the entire fight in itself. Just two guys giving it their all. Um they were fighting for the belt. They would, you know, there's no animosity there. Just a truly, just the true meaning of the sport of mixed martial arts. And for that, I salute both of those guys. Uh, congratulations on a great fight. Maybe the fight of the year. It's definitely a candidate. And they've got my money for the rematch. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on a few things. Absolutely, Woodley Thompson both shaking, hugging in the middle of the ring was class personified. I mean, that was a class act, especially after, you know, waging a battle like that. I will say this. I'm fine with the draw. I would have been fine with Woodley winning 48 to 46. If Thompson would have won, I would not have been okay with that. Because again, we, we, we've said this from day one of our show that if you're the champion, you got to beat the champion ties and close rounds. You got to give them to the champ. And that's why that second round was so, just, I mean, you can make a case for either one of them, and I understand, and I'm happy that, like you said, this was one of those rare times where the draw doesn't hurt either fighter, and it makes the rematch that much bigger. And plus, both fighters can go back to their camps and be like, this worked well, what didn't work. I, I will say this, playing, you know, putting on my trainer's cap here for a second, and, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm uh, Wonder Boy Thompson, I don't think he thought that Tyrone Woodley could close the distance that fast. He didn't realize how athletic this five foot nine, big bulky wrestler was. That he had that footwork, and Woodley's footwork is what kept his title. It wasn't his heavy hand. He won that fight with footwork. He was able to pick and choose and gauge distance a little bit better than I thought Thompson. And I'll tell you right now, as good as Woodley was, and I picked Woodley, I think the rematch favors Wonderboy. Because Wonderboy now has seen, he took the test. He took the best punches that Woodley have, and he didn't, he didn't do enough to win, but he, didn't, but he did enough not to lose. And I think that if you're Wonderboy and you're his camp, that the rematch favors you and that this is a fight you really want to do. Now, from the other side of the equation, 
if you're Tyrone Woodley, you know, you went out there, you fought one of the dudes that nobody wants to fight in the UFC and who was super hot on a nine, uh, seven-fight win streak, beat a couple former champs, and you just gave them everything you had and, came, and, and you know, one judge gave you the fight, the other two thought it was even. Now you've got to possibly do this again. I feel like I wouldn't be surprised. I know Dana White said that this was going to be the immediate rematch. I wouldn't be surprised if Tyrone Woodley might take another fight or look in another direction and make Wonder Boy have to fight someone else to get back. Because in this game, especially with the Reebok deal and especially with what Connor is showing people, you know, the blueprint from Floyd Mayweather's business acumen, that Woodley's looking for money fights. He didn't even really want to fight Thompson in the first place. And everybody was, you know, saying, oh, Thompson's going to run through you, the odds makers, all that. It didn't happen. I think if you're Woodley, you got a position here, Bragg. What do you think about this? Do you think that Woodley should entertain another fight? I mean, you know that there's, there, there, there's a three-letter name out there that everybody's waiting on, and that's GSP. And I know that Woodley wants to fight him if he comes back. Woodley also threw Nick Diaz out. So I could easily – how – oh, my God, I'm getting ahead of myself. But, Bragg, how unreal <laughs> would a wonder would, – how unreal would a wonder boy Thompson-Nick Diaz fight and the winner gets Woodley be? Oh, uh, yeah. Take my money. I'd make I, it I, rain I, I, I legitimately got goosebumps. I just got goosebumps. That, that would be that would be awesome. That that really would be awesome. Here, let, let me you know. I think we're also you know GSP Nick Diaz. Those are two big names. Those are two big fights. And I know Tyrone Woodley said when he won the title that he was looking for money fights. But don't sleep on Robbie Lawler. I mean, yeah, he he lost mm-hmm. the fight uh, by knockout to Tyrone Woodley. Um, I I wouldn't be opposed. Because I agree with you, everything you said. I think Stephen Thompson would go into this rematch as the favorite. Uh, I, I I could not. I wouldn't argue that one bit. Um, I would be shocked if somebody like Nick Diaz, somebody like GSP, hell, you know, there's always Conor McGregor going out there saying that he might decide he want to go for a third t- third t- third well, title. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that in the next in the in a minute. <laughs> don't don't uh, give it away. But yes. So there, there's a there's a lot of options there, uh, where mm-hmm. if Woodley would have be, would have beaten Stephen Thompson handily, those options not might not necessarily been there, uh, but now they are. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if you see Thompson Woodley rematch right away. I wouldn't be shocked if you see a Woodley super fight with one of those guys, and you see Thompson and Robbie Lawler uh, fighting for the next shot. I think. Uh, both of those guys uh, are in line. Uh, again, I just think there's a uh, the welterweight division's gotten very interesting uh, very quickly again, and um, I'm excited about it. Oh, and don't don't and forget I, a guy I, named Damian Maya, who who just mm-hmm. continues winning fights and just continues to uh, stay right there. I believe he's currently ranked uh, number three behind Thompson and Lawler. So. Uh, he's got a case for a title shot as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just so – we could spend so much time on this topic, and I thought that you brought up a great point when you mentioned Robbie Lawler and Damian Maya. I mean, so so 
let's just talk about the four that are on the roster. So you got Woodley, Thompson, Lawler, Maya, all on the roster. Nick Diaz, GSP, not 100% on the roster, but they're not going anywhere else if they decide to fight. They're coming to the UFC. So, so you got six guys right there, and, you know, that's kind of a logjam. I think Woodley could, again, make that case. Thompson, I, why don't you let Thompson fight one of these guys, knock one of them off, and I can take on another guy. So it's a different style, you know, clear it. And then, and then at the end of the year next year, if I'm still champion, me and Thompson have a dust up, you know, I, I think that let me, scenarios and let me give you one more scenario out there too, real quick. Uh, you know, if, if all this happens, you, you get, you get a fight set up and something happens and you've got some, you've got somebody fall out of the fight um, the day of the fight, you still got a guy named Cowboy Cerrone who's on a win streak, who's now officially in the welterweight division, who will take a fight mm-hmm. on 30 minutes' notice. So, um, <laughs> you know, if if he meets Matt Brown, you know, of course, he was scheduled to fight this past weekend. Kelvin Gaslam completely screwed that up. Uh, he needs to be a middleweight, but that's a different story for a different day. If Donald Cerrone beats Matt Brown, mm-hmm. establishes himself in the welterweight division, uh, I believe he's going to be on like a five-fight winning streak at that point. He's a guy who can come in at the last minute, fill a gap. Uh, he's a fighter two away as well. So there's just another exciting Absolutely. name to throw out there. All right, let's talk about the main event now. We got uh, we had the first time ever Conor McGregor, or you know, trying to become a two-division current reigning champion in the UFC. No one's ever done it. Uh, Eddie Alvarez, Conor McGregor. I had McGregor winning by knockout in the second round, and I and I'll be damned. I was a, I was a, I was prophetic with my pick, Bragg, because, but I didn't think that he was going to go out there and do it the way that he did it. I mean, forty strikes to twelve. If 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 Eddie even threw twelve, they're giving him credit for that. I don't I don't even think those landed. Um, just immediately rocked with that left hand shot, like he said, no one can take it. And uh, completely, he made Eddie Alvarez look like he like it was amateur night, like it was like the Bellator champion or the WEC fighting, fighting the UFC pound for pound number one. I mean, he made it look simple. He dominated. I thought he was a class act afterwards. I love the whole thing with the second belt. Um, but where's my fucking belt? Where's my second belt? I mean, I, it was fantastic. And then. I love and that he almost and don't, apologized. And don't forget the sincere apology to the rest of the roster. Yeah, I was just saying, yeah, you know, he, he almost was about to apologize. Then he pulled the WWE heel move and uh, <clears throat> said he's not going to apologize to anyone. The double champ does what the fuck he wants. So he's already called himself the double champ. Um, it was just a fantastic. I don't think I – I think Dana White's smile – from ear to ear and every member who owns a piece in the company that they just were ecstatic. And then immediately that was followed by, Whoa, this dude wants a piece of the company. Now he's the biggest draw taking a page out of Floyd's book. And uh, I don't blame him. I mean, do I think that Connor should get a piece of the company? Not unless he buys in with his own money. That's how it works. But do I think that he should be the highest paid athlete in the sport? He probably is already. But I think that that price tag is going to go up exponentially 
in the next year. He's about to be a new dad. He found out that as well. It was just a really big night for Connor all the way around, and I'm, I couldn't be more pleased with how the fight went down. Bragg, what, were you, what was your take? You know, I was I, – I respect Conor McGregor as a fighter. I, I don't really care for his antics too much. I think he's a little over the top. Um, but I will say this. The man can fight. It, what impressed me the most about his performance against Eddie Alvarez was that the, how fast, how quick and accurate he is with his boxing. He just – he's – there's nobody – right now that is, can touch him in the striking department, at least at that level, or at least at that, you know, weight, in that weight class. Um, he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal fighter, um, and he's getting better. Uh, you know, he's shot, Eddie Alvarez is a great wrestler, and he, he shook off the takedown attempts um, rather easily. Um, and like you said, Eddie's a great fighter. Eddie's a warrior, but he should, had no business being in the cage with me. He's not on my level. And as much as I hate to say it, I mean, he's right. He just there, nobody at, at that weight class is on his level. Uh, now, where do you go from here? He's still got the featherweight title. You still got Jose Aldo as the interim champion. You know, do these guys get a rematch? I still think um, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, you does he go ahead and defend the lightweight title against Khabib? There are a lot of options here for McGregor. He pretty much has the UFC in the palm of his hand. If he wanted to go up to welterweight, um, they'd probably let him do that too. Uh, there's also that third fight with Nate Diaz hanging out there. Uh, there's mm-hmm. just a lot of options right now. Chances are he probably won't fight again until uh, spring or summer uh, because, like as you said, uh, his wife is expecting a child. Uh, he's there's a lot. Again, he's he's going back to the drawing board. He's gonna want more money. He wants a piece of the company. Just I don't think there's anybody any fighter that's ever been on a higher cloud right now than Conor McGregor. Just an absolute fantastic performance. And as a fight fan, it's uh, just awesome to see. Yeah, I mean, we could sit here. We'll, we'll probably talk more about this next week just because of the late show time tonight. Uh, we're, we're a half hour shorter than our normal um, show. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I just real quick, we'll spend five more minutes on this. But uh, I wrote down some names. So, Bragg, with, without going into too much detail, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read off some names, and then you tell me at that weight class what you would want to see. So, at 145, you got the winner of Max Holloway, who already lost to Connor, but he's he's the one of only two men, the other being Nate Diaz, to take Connor the distance. And he was never really hurt in that fight. He was just young and didn't have the same kind of experience that he needed to fight someone like Connor. So you got him and Pettis fighting, and then of course you got Jose Aldo. So out of those three, who would you rather see? Would you rather see Connor? fight Aldo, or would you rather see him fight the winner of Holloway and Pettis? If he fights I, I'll say this. I, I, I'd love to see uh, Max Holloway get a shot. The guy, much like Khabib, uh, he's been fighting and winning for a long time, and he really deserves a shot at the title, but 
Jose Aldo is the interim champion. Uh, now, if Connor's going to take half the year off, he's going to take six months off, then Jose will probably need to uh, fight the winner of Holloway and Pettis for the interim title, and that win that title that uh the winner of that fight should get to fight it with Connor. So uh, Frankie Edgar got a big win. He's still ranked, I believe, at number two in the featherweight division, but I don't think he's in the title picture at this point. Um, so, yeah, I think it comes down to the winner of Holloway Pettis fights Jose Aldo, and the winner of that fight gets Connor in the summer. All right. And, and again, though, out of all these uh, the three scenarios I'm going to read you, I feel like that's the least likely. I don't think Connor can make 145, and if he can, he doesn't want to make that cut again. I just, I just don't feel like he's ever going to fight at 145 again. That's my personal opinion. I don't want you, the listeners, to think that, like, we know something yet or something's been heard. It's just speculatory. But I, I, just, I, I think it's a hard weight cut, especially when you know that you can bang with dudes that will now he's the champion at 55 and got the big boy belt. So I, I don't know if he needs to. And plus, again, it would be, it'd be one thing if Jose and him were going to have a fight, and it was, it was 13 seconds, dude. You can't, you're, you're never going to live that down. Why? It's like, it's like Juan Mar- Manuel Marquez. He's never going to fight Manny Pacquiao again because he's never going to get better than that knocked out cold in the sixth round. You're never going to duplicate that. So you might as well just not even. I, I think 45 is a dead issue. I just wanted to hear your opinion. At 55 now, you have Khabib, you've got Ferguson, and you've got Nate. Out of those three names, who do you think, who, who would you rather see Connor fight, and who do you think is next? Uh, I think it's got to be Khabib. Uh, I think he's earned his shot. I think he's earned, uh, like I said, he was in line for a title shot uh, a year or so ago, then got injured. Um, now he's back. I, I think he is the next in line for the lightweight title. Uh, Tony Ferguson, all things considered, I mean, he's earned a title shot too, but he just he's second in line right now, in my opinion, to Khabib. I think you could see a fight between Ferguson and maybe Alvarez. If Alvarez is um, still going to hang around, uh, I think Ferguson might be smart. And I, I'm never in favor of fighters holding out for their title shot. But in this instance, um, that the whole lightweight division is so strong and it's so deep that I don't know if Tony Ferguson should risk a title shot um, by taking a fight in between. So I think Khabib gets the next shot at Conor McGregor. I agree with you. Uh, when I was talking about the featherweight division, that was if Conor was going to do it. But I agree with you. Lightweight is really his natural – uh, fighting weight, I believe. I think featherweight's going to be too little, and eventually I think that uh, featherweight belt's going to be uh, given up by him. So I think we're looking at lightweight champion Conor McGregor next summer or maybe late spring uh, fighting Khabib and Roman got off uh, for that title, and Tony Ferguson is, will be next after that. See, for me, I think that it's going to – I suspect that we're going to see Connor not fight for a while. I, I, I don't think that – I think Connor is going to take probably six months off. So that puts us in May, June, July. That's when I see him fighting. How – You might as well say the 4th of July gonna, card. 
<laughs> exactly. And and I'm and I'm just gonna say it right now. I, and I don't want to disappoint and you know whatever, but it's gonna be Nate Diaz. I, I don't care what anybody says. The money is there. Now the dream scenario that we talked about after Connor beat Nate is now here. Now Nate and him can fight for the world title at the weight that they should have fought at to begin with, which was 55, instead of both fighting those other two fights at 70. But this is where I think things could get interesting. I would like to see Nate Diaz, and I think that Dana White will probably have to do this in order to make it happen. Nate's going to have to fight either Khabib or Ferguson. I think Ferguson is the more likely scenario, and I wouldn't, I'm going to predict now that I think Nate Diaz picks off Ferguson and then gets the title shot and leapfrogs Khabib again. And the reason why I'm saying this is because Connor alluded to it in the post-conference, and he said, he's like, Khabib's only fought three times in like six years. And granted, he was exaggerating, but I got the, what he was getting at. A lot of dudes don't show up or have injuries or other things. Connor's had, what, four, four fights in the UFC changed or a different opponent than the original one. So he doesn't want to put the time in. He knows Nate's going to show up. You know what you're going to get, and it's going to be bigger than the other two fights, and it would make the most money, and it makes the most sense. But again, you can't ju- in my opinion, you can't justify giving Nate a title shot at 155 coming off a loss to Connor at 170. So that means that Nate's going to have to fight somebody and, and clip somebody to get that shot, but I think it will happen. That's my prediction. And, of course, real quick, because we, we, we went too long, but uh, what do you think the likelihood is of a Conor McGregor-Tyrone Woodley super fight or Conor McGregor versus GSP? GSP and Conor have talked. They are friends. They've sized each other up. They're almost exactly the same size. I would say that George St. Pierre is probably about an inch taller maybe an inch longer in reach, but um, that could just be a mega fight. What do you think the likelihood is of of that? Uh, The likelihood? Of Woodley or GSP? I've been been shocked more recently than I have been. I mean, we've, um, you know, we as a, you know, world even outside of fighting has been, have been shocked by some decisions that have been made and have uh, just, just been a crazy time right now. Uh, I wouldn't doubt anything. For those, wait, wait, I just <laughs> want to interrupt real quick. For those of you who are tuning into the show, we usually don't swear on the show, but now we live in a Trump world where you could say anything you want anytime. <laughs> so we're going to try it for one, ep- for one episode just to, you know, stay, uh, stay with the times. But anyways, Brad, real quick, yeah, I, I, I just I, nothing. Nothing's out. Nothing's out of the. Um, nothing's out of the picture right now. Uh, I think it, for business wise, if they could talk GSP into coming back and fighting Conor McGregor at one at one seventy or hell, they could even do a catch weight at one sixty five because a belt wouldn't be on the line at that point. That would be mm-hmm. huge. That would be that. I mean, that you be, could be talking record breaking at that point. Conor McGregor just continues to sell pay-per-views, and he continues to win fights. I mean, that's the important thing. But back to your point about Nate Diaz, I could definitely see that happening. I 
would mm-hmm. Ferguson and or Khabib be smart to take that fight? I'm not sure, but you know, you never know when that pressure's on. And Nate Diaz could definitely sneak into a title fight um, within the next year. I can definitely see that happening. Absolutely. And and I will just say this to where my opinion lies, because I gave you the three scenarios. I already told you, I think it's going to be Nate, but I wouldn't be shocked if it's Woodley either, because I think for GSP, he would have to win a fight. When you have that long of a layoff, to come back for a non-title fight against the number one guy in the company, they, they would want to promote that a little better. And the only way to do that is to have GSP prove with the eye test that he still is the GSP from two years ago, three years ago. So I feel like with GSP, with Diaz, they both need to have a fight before they can get the fight. And that may play into Connor's timetable. The bottom line is, is that Connor McGregor's got a lot of options and thank God for options because that's where you want to be. All right, we got to get into uh, the sweet science here at the Ultimate Fight Show. It is the sweet science segment of the Ultimate Fight Show, folks. Part two of my interview with Hall of Famer and boxing analyst Al Bernstein. It's the, we, we, we broke it up for a reason because part two of my interview with Bernstein has to do with this weekend's mega fight between Sergey Kovalov, the light heavyweight champion of the world, and arguably best fighter in the world pound for pound, Andre Ward. The winner of this fight will be the best fighter pound for pound in the world. As a matter of fact, Bragg, the pay-per-view is being billed as Andre Ward, Sergey Kovalov, pound for pound. Clever name. So, uh, without further ado, we will uh, we will play part two of our my interview with Al Bernstein, and then we will break down this weekend's mega fight. Uh, I hit the wrong. We like to. We liked it so much we wanted you to hear it twice. <laughs> the current state of the heavyweight division, which has always been the measuring stick, at least in my 37 years on this planet, for boxing enthusiasm from the average fan. We, you know, you, you, you made your bones in the golden era of the heavyweight division. And since we've had Tyson and Lennox and now Klitschko, we get Tyson Fury. What do you make of all the stuff that went on with him and then – my next question is who will emerge in 2017 out of the group of, you know, contenders. We got Wilder, Joshua, Klitschko, and Ortiz. Who do you think has the best chance? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And and Joseph Parker as well. Um, Well, first of all, David, I'm Tyson Fury. I knew Fury, I did a lot of his fights when I was doing the fights on channel five in England, one of the networks there. Mm -hmm. And I, as he was, getting to the point where he was going to be a champion. And I was around him a lot. And, you know, when you're with him one-on-one, or at least at that point in life, he is a, believe it or not, he's a funny, charming, ingratiating guy. Uh, I I was, uh, and I could never understand how I could be with him in that room. And then 20 minutes later, I'd see him acting like a goofball. 
uh, at a press conference. It was like two different people, and so I guess he was putting on some kind of act. But, but clearly his life has spiraled, you know, out of control to a great degree. And what we can expect from Tyson Fury in the future, I think we have to kind of put all of it on hold because we don't really know where he's going to be as a person. Um, as a fighter, he's, you know, I, always, I was always one of those people that when people were denigrating Tyson Fury, while I, I agree with you made the key point, in another era in the heavyweight division, he might not have been a man that you thought of who could be the guy or be one of two or three guys of the guys, but this is a different era. So for this era, a big, tall heavyweight who can punch some, is very aggressive, and, and, and as we saw in the Klitschko fight, kind of knows how to make, you know, box a little bit and make fights difficult. That guy, <clears throat> when he's got those physical attributes, is a handful, and he's been a handful for a couple of heavy, for most heavyweights. But when you look at the landscape and factor in the other people, and given that Fury right now is, is, not a, is kind of a non-starter, of all of the people that are, are out there, I, I've long felt that the potential for someone to kind of take control, you have to look at Anthony Joshua. Um, he's, he's strong. He knows how to fight. Uh, he, he, he's had an impeccable amateur career uh, as experience. And we know he punches so hard. Now, there are still unanswered questions about him. He hasn't had a chance to fight great opposition yet. Um, most of the heavyweights we're talking about, other than Klitschko, haven't had a chance to fight great opposition yet. Uh, they have to fight each other. So when you look at Wilder and Joshua, Joseph Parker, Luis Ortiz, who recently signed with Eddie Hearn, which will make fights with people like Joshua and David Hay uh, more likely, um, and even fights with a Deontay Wilder more likely because before when Ortiz was with Golden Boy, maybe it was more difficult to make that fight because of the enmity between uh, you know him and, and the, uh, the Heyman people. But now what 2017 needs for boxing is for some combination of those people to fight each other. Now they're talking mm -hmm. about Klitschko and Joshua, which I also think is a fight that would be good for boxing, which they talked about for December 10th, but now if it happens, it would be in the open arena, uh, maybe in the spring or summer. Um, of course, the fight at the end of the day, the fight that fans probably want to see the most is Joshua and Wilder. I don't know if we'll get to that yeah. in 2017. I hope we do. Boxing can't wait forever to start making the matches people want. Um, but I, I would hope that would happen at the near the end of 2017. Your, your count, one of your counterparts, Max Kellerman, his theory was that Tyson Fury, because he's such an ego maniac, that he talked himself to the mountaintop, but now the thought that somebody might knock him off of it is why he's coming up with these excuses to not defend his title. What do you, how much credence do you give to that? Do you think that it plays a part? Because we've seen it before. We currently have someone running for president who has a – little bit of that in him and they don't like to lose and when they're and when they do it's it's kind of a 
recall on their whole being. So what do you think about that? Well, that's not who. That's not who. But he doesn't really know Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury. Okay. Is at the at the root of Tyson Fury. He does that. That whole thing is just some big. Um, you know, it's 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 a crazy act, and and clearly the drug use and all the rest of it shows that Tyson Fury's life spun out of control. Um, I don't. It's not about him not having enough confidence to step in the ring with somebody. Um, even the Klitschko fight, you know, he walked into that Klitschko fight. Let's be honest. Was he was he uh, um, was he awed by the moment? Now Klitschko fought a terrible fight, but Tyson Fury didn't walk in and get whacked out. Um, so I don't know if it has to do with that. I think it's just that his life spun out of control, and once it spun out of control, the boxing, you know, kind of went along with it. All right, here's the here we got about three minutes left, and here's the main thing that myself want that I wanted to know, and I know the fans want to know. November nineteenth, we have what I think is the best fight of probably the last ten years. I think it's bigger in terms of. Kovalov and Ward both being at or near their primes, undefeated, a legit 50-50 fight. I remember you and I talking before Chad Dawson and Andre Ward fought several years ago, and both you and I thought Chad Dawson was going to be able to go in there, and boy, were we wrong, uh, especially yeah, about the weight. I thought he was give competitive. Me, yeah, give me, give me your keys to this matchup, and – I don't believe you're calling the fight, so if you have a prediction on it, that would also be yeah. great as well. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's a really intriguing fight. I agree with everything you said. You know, it's a fascinating fight. Uh, and, and, and on top of that, Ward going up in weight uh, to fight a very hard-punching light heavyweight. Kovalev, who has shown us certain boxing skills that people probably weren't willing to give him credit for, um, Andre Ward, while he's not a power puncher, does have enough zing in his punches to keep people honest, and he's going to have to do that against Kovalev. Um, you know, the, what I think we're going to see from Andre Ward, by the way, is a very uh, diverse and varied game plan. We're not going to see the same Andre Ward for all portions of the fight. We're going to see Andre Ward box a little bit, but he doesn't want to get caught on the outside constantly to get nailed with a big right hand or something. So he's going to use that, but then he's going to change pace. Then I think he's going to end up inside with Kovalev. Um, he's a very good inside fighter, tying him up so he doesn't get hit with the big power punches. Um, and I think he's going to show him as many different looks as possible. To me, it's going to be, we were talking baseball earlier, kind of like a pitcher that throws you know, a lot of junk, a lot of different kinds of pitches, and wants to never let you know, the batters get in a, a rhythm. That, I think, is what Ward is going to try and do to Kovalev. And I think this fight really comes down to um, whether Kovalev's power is enough to make a serious difference in this fight and whether he can land those punches. And, and your thoughts on the outcome? And I think the outcome, if you ask, if somebody put a gun to my head and said you had to pick a winner, I would lean toward Andre Ward by decision. But it is absolutely a 50-50 fight. I agree. My my opinion on it is that Andre Ward hasn't lost a fight since he was 13. I've said for the last 10 years that I think besides Floyd Mayweather that Andre Ward's the best fighter in the world. And um, now with this layoff and everything, I think you, brought, you hit the nail on the head. He's going to have a game plan 
Bernard Hopkins, I think, said it best when he said that no one is better at taking away an opponent's best weapon than he is except for Andre Ward. And I think Andre Andre Ward's going to take him. Yeah, when Bernard Hopkins looks at Andre Ward, he sees a lot of Bernard Hopkins in there. Absolutely. And And, uh, and, for me, I think – yeah, no, and I, and I agree with you, Andre. He he's a winner. He knows how to win. And now he could get nailed with something huge, though, in this fight. He's never faced a puncher as big as Kovalev. Never, um, mm-hmm. never in his life. So, and he was hurt early in his career once or twice, but you know, got through it. So, the power of Kovalev is certainly a a, a factor. Yeah, and I think that we're gonna. I think, and I agree with you. I'm gonna be a little more bold in my statement, though. I think. Andre Ward wins the unanimous decision and gives Kovalev a boxing lesson. Not as bad as Mayweather did to Pacquiao, but I think it's going to be like eight rounds to four. Could be. That's not. That's not impossible. And just and, and you know this Al better than anybody because people say it all the time about Floyd. When you get in the ring with him, you didn't think he hit that hard, and I think Kovalev's going to see that with Ward the same way Chad Dawson did. You think Andre doesn't hit hard, but when you get in there, you realize it's a whole different thing. Yeah, he's got pop in his punch. You know, he's not right. He's he he does he hits hard enough to keep you honest. A perfect example is his fight with Carl Frotch. Uh, you know, he Frotch has a great chin, right? And so his Granted. chances of knocking <laughs> yeah knocking Carl Frotch out were minimal, but. He landed, and I remember sitting ringside at that fight, calling it and saying to myself, you know, he's doing, he's, Kyle Frotch can't just run in, you know. He, he's, he's being aggressive like Kyle Frotch does, and he's doing his thing, but, but he, he cannot, he has to be mindful of being hit by Andre Ward. All right, Al, we'll try to get you back on after the ward Kovalov fight. As always, a pleasure. Thanks. Take care, bye. And that was my interview, part two, with Hall of Famer Al Bernstein, friend of the show for a long time. Greg, Al, Al said a lot of things that, uh, you know, real quick, let's talk about the heavyweight division real quick. Um, he mentioned Joshua. We talked about Fury. Um, you know that I'm a big Deontay Wilder fan. What, what, what do you think is going to happen with the heavyweight division in the next year? Are we going to get some clarity? Is, is, a, is a main champion going to emerge from the chorus? I'd like to say it will, but it's it's been, you know, with Tyson Fury's issues the last couple of months, it's just been completely thrown up, up in the air. It's almost like taking your deck of 52 cards, throwing, you know, throwing them all up and then just picking a random one out, and there's your champion. Um, you've got a lot of potential. Uh, I'm like you. I'm a huge fan of Dante Wilder. Um, Alabama product. In uh, fact, a, a guy I met and I work with now, um, who comes from Alabama. Uh, we were talking about boxing, and uh, uh, he was really putting over Deontay Wilder and trying to convince me. I'm like, dude, man, I, I'm on board, man. I, I, I'm all in with him as well. But uh, you know, as a from a personal standpoint, I'd love to see him do well. Um, the Klitschko's are still so good. Who, who knows? But I'd like to say that in the next six months, eight months, that the heavyweight division is going to be back on track. I hope it is. Uh, but it really just depends really on, um, you know, 
how well Tyson Fury recovers from his issues that he's having. And, you know, I think it's real key because if he doesn't come back, then it's wide open. If Fury comes back and he's, his head's on right and he starts moving forward in his career, uh, he can hold it for a while. Who knows? Absolutely. All right, let's let, let, let's get into the pay-per-view. Um, we have uh, four four fights on that card, and then we have one other fight in London as George Groves will be fighting uh, Friday in London. Both Bragg and myself both believe that George Groves will win that fight against Edward uh, Gutneck, and uh, we'll probably punch him in the gut and the neck and uh, win that fight by TKO in the sixth round. Greg, what's your prediction there? Groves? Yeah, I had Groves. I was going to say seventh. You say sixth. Uh, That's a wash. All right, let's get into the pay-per-view now. We got three fights before the main event that we're going to talk about here for the rest of the show. But uh, let's start with uh, Curtis Stevens against James Delarosa, middleweights. We know Stevens stocky, short guy, likes to bang a little bit of power. I like Stevens to win that fight by knockout in the uh, eighth round. Bragg, what do you got? Yeah, I actually, I'm going to go to, um, I agree. I think Stevens wins that fight. I, I think it was going to, I was going to say the sixth round. Um, I say it gets it done a little early, earlier than you say. Uh, all right. Uh, Maurice Hooker against uh Darlis Perez, junior welterweights. I'm going with Hooker to win by unanimous decision. Might be the only time that you and I can say Hooker and, and our wives would be okay with that. Frank, who do you got? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to silently agree with you. <laughs> I don't want Mrs. Bragg hearing me say that, but uh, yeah. He's not the best color man in the, in the, in the league for nothing folks. Um, <laughs> all right. Now we got the, uh, the co-main event, Isaac Chalumba, a man who gave Sergey Kovalov a very rough outing in his tune up before this fight against Alexander Gozdov. And he is a Russian amateur who trains with Sergey Kovalov. He's undefeated 11 and 0. This is going to be a really good fight in May. This fight actually might be better in terms of, of, action than the main event because the main event is going to be such a chess match. But um, Isaac Chalumba trained by Roy Jones now, really confident. Uh, even though he lost to Sergey, he took him the distance. Um, and then uh, 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 Gozdok, just, you know, great Russian pedigree in that am- amateur system. Bragg, who do you got in this fight? Yeah, th- this is going to be a a bit of a thriller. I th- I think you're looking at a really really good fight here that is going to surprise a lot of people. Of course, you know you're going to come for the Kovalov Ward fight. I think you're going to walk away being um, surprised and excited about the co-main event there. Um, I can't see. I I agree with you. I, I hate to agree every time, but uh, um, I like uh, Gazadik to win this fight. Um, I, he's an impressive guy. He's got a lot of power in his hands and. I say he gets the job done, um, TKO in the ninth round. Wow. I'm going to go the other way. I think that Chalumba is going to be a little more confident, especially that he was that he was able to survive all 12 rounds and not get dropped by Kovalov. I also think that with Roy Jones there, could be working on his jab a little more to get to keep uh, 
uh, goes Doc on the outside. Um, I'm going to say Chalumba by split decision in a great fight, a fight where I wouldn't be surprised if both fighters get dropped. And uh, that brings us to the main event, folks. And we, we don't have Buffer to, to call us in, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to – this fight feels like because Sergey's from Russia and Andre's from America, doesn't it have that Rocky Four feeling to it? Like just a little bit, you know, the guy that knocked everyone out and the Russian and then the, the smaller boxer with a tenacious attitude. It's got the makings of everything. But, uh, Bragg, lock the doors and hide the keys because it's time to wage war here. Sergey Kovalov, 30-0, one draw, 26 knockouts against Andre, son of God, Ward, 30-0, 15 knockouts. Andre Ward is the super middleweight champion of the world, lineal, the winner of the Super Six, and he's ranked number four pound for pound or number three by the Ultimate Fight Show. And then we have Sergey Kovalov, who is also ranked no, – I'm sorry, they're both ranked number two because the winner of this will be the number one. Crusher Kovalov, he's knocked out um, – I believe he's knocked out six opponents in his last seven. He's making his eighth defense of the light heavyweight title. And uh, he actually killed a man in the ring. A lot of people don't realize that back in the day in Russia – that Sergey Kovalov killed someone in the ring with his hands um, in a really early fight. Uh, referee probably was to blame in that one. But, uh, Bragg, I, I don't even know. Like, there's so many. We only got 16 minutes left on the show, and we could sit here and talk about this fight for an hour and 16 minutes. It's just one of those fights where you legit you hear it a lot in the business that, like, oh, it's going to be such a close fight. And, tune in because you don't know what's going to happen. Most of the time, the experts, people in the field and the business who know the fight game, you usually know who you think is going to win. This is a legit 50-50. This is like Hagler and Leonard. This is, I'm not even going to say Pacquiao Mayweather because we thought it was such a one-sided, we thought Mayweather was going to win before the fight even took place. To me, you almost got to go back to Trinidad and De La Hoya or Meldrick Taylor against Julio Cesar Chavez. And the reason I bring those two fights up, Bragg, is did you know that this is only the third fight in, since, 19, since 1990 where two undefeated fighters are meeting in their prime for the championship of the world? That, that, that's hard to believe. It, it really is. It and really is. I don't know if that's, a, uh, that's something to be proud of or if it's just a – um, indication of how bad the promotion of you know boxing promoters and the whole world of boxing has gotten. It's just a uh, it. It just makes to me it's just it's a must see fight. Yeah, it's just there's there, there's no way around it. It's just one of those you know the fact that two fighters oh you know you know what it is you know what it is it's it's the first time that it's two undefeated fighters on the pound for pound list that are fighting each other in their primes the other two were trinidad de la Hoya and chavez and taylor so that that's not two undefeated fighters but two pound for pound fighters fighting so that's another thing that just makes this fight so much bigger is that you arguably have the two best fighters in the world fighting relatively close to their prime for everything. I mean, 
Andre Ward's fighting for his legacy. He's fight. He's had two years of tumultuous relationships with his promoter, who's now deceased, and uh, now he's with Rock Nation. They're, they're, Andre Ward's guaranteed $5 million, the biggest purse of his career, for this fight. And it's also the biggest test of his career. Um, I was reading today that Floyd Mayweather, I don't know if you saw this brag, but Floyd Mayweather was pretty vocal about HBO and the conspiracy that he believes is to try to get Andre Ward a loss. Basically what, what Mayweather's alluding to is that Triple G is afraid to fight Andre Ward. And so rather than Triple G and Ward fighting, they steered Andre Ward towards Sergey Kovalov because it would give Gennady time to grow into the middleweight, super middleweight division. But also Kovalov is a man who could possibly give Ward an L. Andre Ward commented back and said, hey, man, you could have just picked up the phone and called me and told me this instead of putting it all out there for everybody. Bragg, what do you think about Mayweather's comments on the fight? And do you think that, you know, Andre Ward, what, what kind of, how much credence do you give to Mayweather's theory, I guess is what I'm asking, before we get into this fight? I, I don't, because this, I, it sounds good, and for conspiracy theorists, it's a very juicy one. I, I don't. I, I think it's. Uh, I think this is just a super fight. All the stars have aligned, and it's a fight. Both fighters knew that if they didn't take the fight now, that that window was going to close. And I think you're hopefully you're going to see a lot more of this coming soon because people saw what happened with Pacquiao and Mayweather. It took too long to get it done, and when the fight finally happened, it was lackluster. Yeah, it was a big spectacle. It sold a uh, bunch of pay-per-views, but the fight itself wasn't what it should have been. And I think you're going to see a lot of fighters now and a lot of promoters uh, look at that as an example and say, you know what, let's get these fights done at the peak. And I, th- I just think that's what it was. It was a, a circumstance that put these two guys together. This fight is even up and down the car such a great, great fight to have. I wish people would just stop trying to overthink this thing, and let's just enjoy it for what it is. And as you touched on, I agree. This is going to be one of those fights, if it goes the way in my mind it's going to go, that you are going to be talking about for years. This is going to be one of those fights that's going to be put into the the annals of boxing history, and I'm just so pumped and excited. This is a super fight like we haven't seen in a long time. And forget the conspiracies. Forget all the negative things that's happened. Let's just settle in on Saturday night and just enjoy a great fight. Absolutely. All right, let's break this down, Brad. We got the, the arguably the best boxer generation that's not named Floyd Mayweather fighting arguably the best puncher of his era that's not Triple G. So, basically, and, and, and both of these gentlemen are bigger, stronger, and closer to their primes than Mayweather was when he fought Pacquiao or that Triple G has ever experienced as far as the level of competition. This is legit super fight. This is the fight. 
this is the best fight that boxing could have made. And we're going to get to see it on Saturday night. Bragg, it's, it's just such a classic matchup. I'm going to let you give me your breakdown and how you think it's going to go Saturday night, and then I'll give the viewers my opinion. I probably have a little more to say on this than you. <laughs> well, I, I know you and uh, Bernstein, uh, just listening back to the interview uh, again, it was – you guys said a lot. You guys touched on a lot. and just It really is just going to come down to, and, and as you said earlier, Kovalov's power is is something that Ward hasn't felt yet. Uh, I, I'm not sure, outside of bringing in a light heavyweight to a heavyweight, I'm not sure uh, if he's going to be training with somebody that's going to be punching as hard as Kovalov is going to punch him. But Ward is such a great fighter, as we talked about. He, uh, Bernard Hopkins, I love, I love the way you guys put it. When Bernard Hopkins looks at Andre Ward, he sees Bernard Hopkins. Uh, just just a great boxer, a great defensive fighter. It's going to be interesting to see if Andre Ward can withstand the power that Kovalov's going to bring. And I think he's going to be able to. Uh, Andre Ward is such a great boxer. I think he's going to be able to withstand some early punishment. I think he's going to come through it. I think he's going to... I think it's going to be a close fight. I think it's going to be an even fight coming down to the wire. But I think in the end of the night, I think Andre Ward has his hand raised um, with a decision victory, and it's going to be close. I'm talking 115, 113, 116, 112 in that favor. It's going to be a great fight. It's going to be a fight we are going to be talking about and rewatching for years to come. But at the end of the night, Andre Ward becomes the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world and has his hand raised in victory. Yeah, I mean, this is just, I mean, the, the, the popular, I remember you and I have been doing this show now for five years, and uh, this was a fight that, if you remember, like when me and Al were touching on in the interview, uh, the only time I've ever picked against Andre Ward was when I fought Chad Dawson, who was the lineal light heavyweight champion of the world and was going to move down seven pounds to fight the lineal super middleweight champion in Ward, and you know, we, we couldn't odds favored uh, Andre Ward. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a layup. Why, why is, why is Chad Dawson an underdog? And then when you saw the fight, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget it, Bragg. It stayed, it's, it stayed in my mind like a freeze frame. I remember the weigh in when Dawson and Ward went eye to eye and then they interviewed Chad Dawson and they were like, you know, how do you think this is going to happen? And he's like, you know, I'm the bigger man. I'm going to put it on him, and uh, I'm going to do this and that. And then they went over to Andre Ward, and Andre Ward's like, I don't got anything to say. He goes, Saturday night, I'm going to talk real loud. He goes, I'm going to talk real loud on Saturday night. And that's what he did, and he knocked Chad Dawson out and dropped him three times. Um, I just think that Andre Ward is a special fighter, the kind of fighter that comes along like a, like a Mayweather, like a Pacquiao, like a Jones. I'm not going to say he's one in a generation, but he's probably one of maybe a, a handful you could count on one hand in the last 25 years. And I think that this is the fight that Andre Ward needs. He already went through the Super Six, defeated Carl Frotch, defeated Kessler, defeated Abraham, defeated uh, – uh, 
not Jermaine Taylor. I forget the other one of the replacement guys. Uh, Allen. He, uh, you know, he's he's passed every test that's ever. Saki Obika, tough guy. Nobody wanted to fight him. Andre Ward fought him. Even the two fights that he had at light heavyweight against Brand and against uh, Rodriguez, he those were undefeated fighters that he took apart and beat twelve rounds to zero and dropped. It's just, you know. And again, I know the old adage, Mike Tyson said it best, you know, everyone's got a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. And boy, you don't want to be punched in the mouth by Sergey Kovalov clean, ask Bernard Hopkins, because he went down. But he got back up, and again, Bernard Hopkins was 49 years old when him and Kovalov fought, and he went all 12 rounds with Kovalov. And although he didn't win any of the rounds, maybe he won one, He's 49. Andre Ward's 32 in his prime, in the best shape of his life. The money that he wants for this fight, he's got the fight that he wants. He has the trainer in Virgil Hunter, who I believe is arguably one of the top two or three trainers of the last 25 years. His acumen of boxing and the way that he sees fights is phenomenal. And I just think at the end of the night, it's just going to be too much. I think that this fight is extremely competitive early. I wouldn't be surprised if Sergey Kovalov jumps out to a lead on the scorecards, but like Bernstein and I were talking about, nobody in boxing is better than Andre Ward at taking away your best weapon and making you useless with that pump. And I think that he's going to take away Kovalov's right hand, whether it's from footwork or moving inside or clinching. Andre Ward's the best in-fighter in boxing inside. And to the point where I didn't know if you were aware of this, but there, there is a rematch clause initiated by the champion in case he loses. So that and another thing that's really steering me in for my pick, which I don't think is any big surprise there. I think everyone knows I'm taking Andre Ward to win this fight by unanimous decision. I'm going to say 116 to 112. Um, but a lot of people didn't realize that two years that Andre Ward was off, he was privately having full-blown fights in the gym, not sparring. They brought in fighters from around the world who were ranked to fight him behind closed doors, 12-round fights to keep him sharp. And he didn't lose one of those, and he hasn't lost a fight since he was 13. And I just don't see it happening. I, I, think, I, I think Sergey Kovalov is a legit fighter. I think, he's, I think he'll be back. I think that we haven't seen the last of him, but... On Saturday night, I think Andre Ward's going to do God's work inside the ring and, uh, and win this fight for America, for his family, for himself, and for his legacy. So Andre Ward, by unanimous decision in the fight of the year, uh, is my prediction on uh, Saturday night. It's also my, you know, we've started the new segment um, where we pick our, our biggest, our underdog bet and our favorite bet. This is my, this is my, I've had this fight circled for three years before it was even a whisper. And Andre Ward by decision was my pick then. And I'm not serious. The same way that I knew Manny Pacquiao was going to get beat by Floyd Mayweather for six years. And I put 9,000 on it. I will be putting a very large bet on Andre Ward Saturday night. And I, and so, you know, that, that's just how I feel. I just don't think that I think Andre Ward's the best fighter on the planet. That's not Floyd Mayweather. Bragg, we got about um, two minutes. Uh, you want any any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I just 
I, I love the way you broke it down. I, I love the boldness. I wish I had the extra cash to throw on it as well. But, you know, you made a, <laughs> the comment about Sergei Kovalov uh, uh, being a game fighter. I mean, we're, we're talking about Andre Ward being so great, and it's almost taking for granted how good Kovalov is. Kovalov would be favored against every other fighter in the world at this point in his career. I mean, I, there's just – I just don't want pe- people to forget that. Um, you know, we're, talk, we, we're really putting over Andre Ward, and he's just at the top of the game. But, you know, Sergey Kovalov is a legit fighter. He's a legit champion. And I'm just looking forward to this fight. We ran long on the boxing predictions. Keep it on the Facebook and Twitter pages. We're going to have our predictions for the UFC and the Bellator events coming up this weekend. We'll get those posted before the uh, fights as well. Absolutely. And, again, just real quick because we got 50 seconds, but I think that this is going to come down to what we're talking about Sunday morning is either going to be, oh, my God. It's either going to be, oh, my God, Sergey Kovalov's power is the scariest thing we've ever seen, or it's going to be, wow. Andre Ward just put just showed us what the sweet science is really about, because I I feel like we're going to see just such a multifaceted fight that it's going to like you said captivate people's minds for years. All right, that's our show. Um, tune in next week for another edition of the Ultimate Fight Show. Good night. Are you ready?